Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Kenny Florian, mixed martial artist and UFC commentator. We talk about innovation, understanding new technology, and decision making. Kenny also tells us about how he got into mixed martial arts, how he got into Bitcoin, and the similarities he sees between the rise of both. Kenny's success in the octagon is no accident. He's not just an amazing fighter, but a deep thinker. The surprising thing for me in this interview was Kenny's optimistic view of the world and his unshakable belief in the creativity of the human spirit. I found my conversation uplifting and his mindset is something well worth learning. I hope you enjoy this interview. Kenny Florian, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, you're up in Boston, right? How, how are things over there with COVID and everything? So actually, you know, I'm originally from Boston. I was uh-huh. there in Boston till about 2000. Uh, I was there till the end of 2011. I moved um, to Los Angeles in 2012 um, mm. and uh, have been there um, ever since. Um, currently, I am uh, I'm in South Carolina uh, with, with my wife's family, kind of hanging out with my family over here. So um, I'm in the process of moving. So I'm looking for a, a, a new city in the next few months. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, what, yeah. what are your candidates? I, I imagine this has something to do with COVID. You're yeah. moving and all that. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, Los Angeles has been a little crazy. So, you know, I think um, I, I have an expanding family. So, um, mm. you know, I, I think we just need a little bit more space. Um, I think a little bit more freedom. And um, yeah, you know, I think a little less, uh, a little less craziness, I think. So, <laughs> so yeah, just looking to, uh, you know, for a new city and uh, looking maybe in, in the Nashville area. Um, mm. So that's one of the candidates. So uh, I'm going to kind of take the next few months with my family to uh, scout out these places and, and see if it's a good fit. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So big changes going on in your life. You got yeah. more, more kids, <laughs> yeah. got moving and everything else. All right. So uh, a lot of people don't know that you're into Bitcoin and uh, that that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm having you on this podcast. So can you tell us the story of how you got into it and, and so on? Definitely. You know, I think the first time I heard about Bitcoin was around maybe 2013, um, I was just kind of being aware of, you know, different news and different things like that. And, um, you know, a, a friend of mine had told me about Bitcoin and, and a little bit about what it does and, you know, the potential and all that stuff. And, you know, it, I didn't really, um, you know, get it. Um, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm still trying to understand it the best <laughs> that I can. Um, and each time I feel like there's a new revelation about Bitcoin that kind of gets me excited. But, um, yeah, so originally I think I, I purchased my first Bitcoin in around like 2015, I believe. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, to me originally, if I'm being completely candid, it was more about, Hey, maybe this thing works and I make some money. You know, it wasn't about like, Oh, this is like this amazing technology. I, I just wasn't aware of it. Um, mm. And, you know, I understood the, the potential for it and how it was cool on um, kind of redefining uh, money and what we see as money and kind of um, fighting back against kind of what happened in 2008 with the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, but that really, you know, if I'm being honest, really wasn't my motivation at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I think as I did more research and was learning about it and 
playing around with some of the other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. And um, I, I was just continuing to educate myself and, and um, on the internet, so learning <laughs> as much as I could. And each time it kind of um, got me thinking more and more. And I think when you come across something, a technology specifically that gets you to ask a lot of questions and point to you um, in some interesting directions, I think um, there's some beautiful artistry there. Uh, so I, I just kind of been trying to continually educate myself about it. And um, I kind of been accumulating more and more of it. And um, I'm excited for, for the future and, and for the potential of, of the technology and, and to see so many different players, uh, large and small, come into the fold, I think is an exciting time uh, in human history, really, to be honest. Mm, yeah. And uh, it sounds like you you got in in an interesting time. 2015 was like the absolute like bear market in, yeah. in, in that cycle. So, uh, I mean, tell me more about like what happened there. Like uh, who, who were you reading something that uh, did somebody convince you to like open an account somewhere? What what, what yeah. was the impetus? Yeah. You know, my, my my friend, I think originally when I heard about it, I think Bitcoin was at like $70 and I was about mm. to put a, a few thousand dollars and just like, all right, let's see what happens. But, you know, I, I had um, a lot on my plate at the time. I was working a, a lot for Fox Sports and, mm. um, you know, had recently traveled to Los Angeles. I had, you know, a, a couple homes in Boston and, and I was renting in, in L.A. So I, I just kind of had a lot going on and um, just wasn't able to really um, do it for whatever reason. And it, and it wasn't such an easy thing, I guess, for me anyways, to just go out there and buy Bitcoin, you know, um, mm can't just go to your local street corner and be like, Oh, I want to buy Bitcoin or your market. So, you know, all that stuff. But anyways, it kind of pushed me back. And eventually around 2015, I, I think I looked at the price of Bitcoin. It was like maybe like two fifties or something like that. Like, and I was like, Whoa, how did, how did this happen? Like, wait, people are really kind of onto this. And, um, that got me interested. And then eventually I think I, um, I bought Bitcoin, I think it was in 2015, it was either something like Coinbase or um, mm -hmm. some other online thing. And so I, I started, you know, I accumulated a little bit at the time and then started accumulating a little bit more and um, just kind of was reading a, about it as much as I could and, and trying to understand exactly what the implications of it were and, and kind of what you can do with it and, and what the potential of it was. Wow. So, I mean, that that's uh, that's fairly early. I mean, as far as like people in the crypto community I, are concerned, you're an OG. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I was an ignorant OG. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think that, um, you know, I guess I'm like kind of the eternal optimist. Uh, I think my, my, my dad is very much like that. Um, and I, 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 I thought it was very interesting that here was this technology that we were kind of responsible for in its success or failure. And mm. that was kind of exciting to me that, you know, um, for the first time in a very, very, very long time, humans kind of could control their destiny in a certain way of, you know, controlling um, this digital currency or this di digital monetary system, which I, I thought was, was really interesting. And, and I, you know, at the time, I don't think I had a whole lot of faith in it. I just kind of was excited about it. And, like the potential of it. And over time I've become, um, 
I've just had a lot more faith in it. And um, it, it's just been a really interesting ride. Mm. You mentioned uh, your dad and how he's an eternal optimist. Uh, I, I, I was reading earlier about your background and stuff, and he's from Peru, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. He's a uh, thoracic and cardiovascular surgeon uh, that ended up in the Boston area from uh, Lima, Peru. And um, yeah, he was just kind of this, always this go-getter and, and um, you know, worked really hard and, and kind of passed on um, the idea of working hard and, um, being a positive person and, and believing in yourself and, and investing in yourself and betting on yourself repeatedly. Um, and I, I think that's kind of, you know, I, I think if you're into Bitcoin, I think you're, you're more of an optimist than anything else that, mm. you know, you, you kind of have this idea that we can kind of overturn, and and change this system that we're currently in that has failed us repeatedly. Hmm. Yeah, I, um, th- have you talked to your dad about Bitcoin? Because I'm I'm curious on his perspective, uh, having grown up in Peru and so on. Uh, yes. I, I know they've had currency collapses and so on. Absolutely. Um, and you know we we have talked about it. Um, I think that you know for him, and I think a lot of people, um, I think in a way. Well, first of all, just being in the system for so long and not kind of seeing outside of it, I think he is a little bit hesitant. I think mm-hmm. people at the end of the day kind of like the idea of being able to point the finger <laughs> in a lot of ways <laughs> at central banks or, you know, and say, well, you guys screwed this up and you're going to be able. The problem is, is that we don't have the power to do anything really about that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. So um, I think that. Yeah, you know, he's interested in it. And uh, I've been trying to get him to invest in it for a very long time. Um, But I think that at his age and his 80s now, I think he's kind of locked into (laughs) a certain mentality where um, there's some trepidation there in him kind of making that first step and, and kind of diving in. And I tell him, it's like, you don't need to buy even a full Bitcoin, like get a half a Bitcoin, get, a, you know, a couple Bitcoin, whatever it is, you know, you don't have to get some crazy position. But I think it's way better, especially how it's positioned now to have a little bit um, as opposed to zero. Yeah, I, I know for myself, it took me like four years before my dad bought it. I, I told him in 2013, he just <laughs> well, absolutely refused. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, I'm just a fan of yours uh, from your UFC days. So I, I wanted to ask a few things about uh, about your background. I, I know you're a soccer player at, yes. uh, at uh, or like our international listeners might call it football. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, you're you're a soccer player at uh, at Boston College, and then you transitioned to the UFC. What? How did that happen? Like, I'm always curious. <laughs> I know it's funny. You know, I told people I went from being involved in like the wimpiest sport to uh, the most brutal <laughs> sport, pretending like I'm hurt to trying mm. to hurt others. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I played soccer my whole life. I, I loved soccer and and played all the way until I was in BC. And you know, I um you know, in watching the first UFC, I was just fascinated by, um, you know, the, this martial arts spectacle really that, um, you know, I think for someone who grew up and I grew up, you know, doing martial arts as well. My, my dad was also a black belt in judo and, and wanted mm. us all to learn self-defense in some, in some way, shape or form. And, um, you know, 
so I did it a lot when I was a kid and, you know, had a lot of other things going on with sports. So I had to kind of leave it behind. But the first time I did martial arts, I felt like it was like a religious experience where I could just focus on that. And that was the only thing that existed in the world. And, um, you know, I, I, I missed it. Uh, and when I saw the first UFC and I saw all these different martial arts styles competing against each other, um, it kind of answered a question that me and my brothers had while we were growing up. I'm one of six kids. I had uh, four brothers and one sister. And, um, you know, I was fascinated by the fact that all these martial artists from all over the world were competing to see who had the best style. And hmm. ultimately, after three or four UFCs, um, the style of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu had established itself as, as a dominant force, um, not, not in theory, not in talking about it but in actually going out and doing it and proving it. And it was especially powerful because here was this skinny Brazilian guy who was beating these monsters. You know, back in the day, the UFC, they didn't have weight classes. Um, mm. And the fact that there was this lanky guy named Hoist Gracie who was um, not only winning these fights, but winning them decisively, um, to me showed that there was a very powerful technology at play. And um, I, I wanted to learn that. And it was inspiring because I'm like, well, that skinny guy can do it. And I'm a little skinny guy. Maybe I could do it. <laughs> um, and eventually, you know, it kind of led me down a, a path of, um, you know, eternal curiosity where I, you know, okay, well, I've got some moves now. I can do this in a training room. What would happen if I did this in a competition and did it against another jujitsu practitioner? Okay. And what would I do against another wrestler practitioner? So I would do all these different tournaments and I'd end up doing well and, you know, started kind of getting outside of my area and having mixed success and eventually getting better and better and competing, you know, at a higher level. And ultimately when I think when I was about a, a brown belt, I started getting interested in maybe competing in just one mixed martial arts fight. That was my goal. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to know, okay, what would happen in a, in a pressure situation where I would have to pit myself against another trained martial artist? What would happen? Would I freak out? Would I be able to um, defend myself? What, what would go down? So eventually, I think in 2003 or 2004, I had my first mixed martial arts fight. Um, one fight became two fights and became three fights. And on my fourth fight, um, I fought a guy with an insane amount of experience. I think he had like 30 fights to my f like three fights. <laughs> um, and, uh, we had an absolute war. It was probably the first time I'd ever been hit in the face. Um, in the arena that night was, uh, Dana White, the president of the UFC. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we had a war. I thought I won. He thought he won. And I lost a split decision in Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, and Dana came back to my dressing room. He said, Hey kid, I thought you were going to get your ass kicked. Um, we're doing this new show called the ultimate fighter. Um, it's going to be filmed in Vegas. Would you be interested in participating in it? And I was so upset that I lost the fight that I was like, yeah, 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 whatever. And it didn't even face me. <laughs> and it was there. I was just so upset that I lost. And, hmm. uh, eventually, you know, he said, like, listen, just have your brother interview. You send that in while producers will check it out. I ended up sending in like a seminar DVD of me teaching. Uh, and they called me, they invited me to Vegas. They told me I was going to be you know, in a weight class that was way above mine, I uh, would be the least experienced guy. Um, so would I still be down to do it? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, so, uh, ended up doing that, um, being the least experienced and being the smallest on the show. Somehow I made it to the finals, um, of, mm -hmm. of the ultimate fighter season one, um, and, uh, lost miserably in the final. It was terrible performance. I was completely spooked and let fear take over. 
And um, it was that experience that said, okay, you know what? I'm going to actually try to be a professional fighter. Like before I didn't, that was not my goal. Now I, I, I don't want to lose on those terms. I feel like I beat myself and mm. I wanted to go out and um, do something that I was proud of and, and give it my best effort. And um, that's kind of what led me down the path to, to being a professional mixed martial arts fighter in the UFC. Wow. Wow. So, so many questions. What, what a story. It's just like, you just, you just came in. Uh, but I mean, you, you were really there for the explosion of the UFC, the ultimate fighter one, at least for me. I mean, like when I saw the Bonner Griffin fight, like that yeah. was just like, I mean, everybody I know started watching UFC like right after that. It was like, you, you can't get away from this. That was just so exciting and so much better than boxing, which I always thought was kind of boring. And where where these guys are trying to kill each other. It was awesome. (laughs) Um, But yeah, uh, one thing that you mentioned that uh, that I wanted to ask about is, um, you know, when you first saw jujitsu, you saw it as sort of like this, uh, like underrated uh, technology that got to just sort of show itself. And I, I was thinking... Wow, that's that's very similar to Bitcoin, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, man. Absolutely. I think, you know, those things, when you start to see it and you see it in action and you see that it works, I think there's nothing more powerful than that. I think, you know, unless you're just, you know, stuck in the system and afraid to learn something new. And I think that's what I credit martial arts to so much is that, you know, the truth will eventually come out. The The truth will reveal itself. There is no hiding in the martial arts for the most part. Um, you know, I, I think the results of what happens out there when you test it um, is going to reveal itself. And you'll know what you need to work on and how you can strengthen the system. Um, be, the, the system, of course, being jujitsu. And I think the, the same thing can be said with Bitcoin. And, and you look at you know, the kind of technology and how much quicker and more efficient and safer it is, in my opinion, than than the current system. Um, I, I think once you can get people to understand that, um, I think there's there's no looking back. And, and I think back in the UFC, you know, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen with the UFC, but I did know the potential of it. And I did know that it was a very exciting sport that was mis- misunderstood. Um, that had a lot of potential. And I think as it stands right now, I think when you compare it to, you know, sports like boxing and other sports, I think, like you said, I think you realize how much more powerful it is, how much more exciting it is. And um, I I think kind of we're in a similar situation with Bitcoin, you know, Um, I I think it's still very, very, we're still in the very early stages of things. And um, we're already seeing a lot of exciting developments and a lot of, you know, different, um, you know, big time CEOs and some really smart people that are investing, um, you know, either their, their, their company's money, their own personal money, or their, you know, their time into, into Bitcoin. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And things are taking off in the same way, sort of like UFC took off after the ultimate fighter. (laughs) That, 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 That to me is like, sort of like a cultural moment that that's sort of embedded in into our history uh one thing i wanted to touch on uh you you mentioned that it was like a weight class that was higher uh than what you were supposed to be um and i I noticed during your career you you started out as like a middleweight on the ultimate fighter (laughs) 
and you ended uh, as a featherweight. How like how does that happen? That's a lot of pounds to lose during a career. Like what what happened there? It is. It's crazy. You know, um, I think I was infatuated and still am uh, for sure about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and mm. I've always believed that the true martial artist that. Um, Skill is the most important thing. Um, mm. Technique is the most important thing. And um, I, I think, you know, I was probably 175 pounds when I was fighting um, on the Ultimate Fighter and I had gained weight up to like 182. Um, and everyone else was cutting weight, you know, from like 215 pounds, 200 pounds. So, you know, but, you know, in, in boxing and wrestling and mixed martial arts, you know, when two masses are about to collide, the, the heavier one uh, will have an advantage. And, and that's kind of where people come from with the weight cutting thing and that, um, you know, that they will diet down or, or, or cut water weight, get on the scale, make weight and then replenish themselves for uh, next day's action. So you have at least 24 hours to replenish yourself and refuel. And, and that's what a lot of, um, you know, fighters do. So I was definitely underweight um and you know for me i was like well we're gonna find out if i'm a real martial artist or not i'm gonna be competing with guys <laughs> way more experienced way bigger than me let's see if i could pull it off um you know i think that advantage of technique goes away as people learn those same techniques so i think it's an it's an information game and i think people people forget about that that martial arts to me is an information game um mm. and i think the way so many things work, it, it's really an information game. It's what kind of information can I uh, get a grasp on? What kind of information can I understand? What kind of information can I bring to the table uh, to make things better? Um, and, you know, I, I think it, it is very similar to a technology uh, martial arts. So, um, you know, I think being on the Ultimate Fighter at 185 pounds, I had to learn the hard way. And I, I learned a lot in that process, making mistakes and having some success. Um, and then ultimately, after the Ultimate Fighter wrapped, um, the lightest weight class that the UFC had at the time was uh, welterweight, 170 pounds. At the time, they had gotten rid of uh, or didn't have those weight classes below 170 pounds. So I, I competed in 170 pounds a couple times. And then I eventually went down to 155 pounds when they brought that division to the UFC. And then mm. I ended my career at 145 pounds, which was absolute uh, insanity. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, 155 pounds, I definitely was cutting weight. Mm. Um, you know, I, I was kind of like around 172 pounds, had to cut down to 155. And then at 145 pounds, I had to cut an insane amount of weight mm -hmm. and felt very, um, you know, kind of weak and didn't really have the whole, a whole lot of strength on fight night, unfortunately. But, you know, still was able to compete for three different world titles in two different weight classes and um, still found some success and was able to compete against, you know, a lot of great fighters in my time. And, and uh, to me, I think, um, you know, in, enjoying that process and learning and getting better as a martial artist was was my ultimate goal. And, um, you know, I think for that, it, I'm, I'm real thankful that I got a chance to test myself against some of the best fighters in the world. Yeah, that that uh, thing that you said about it being an information game is really interesting to me because. In a sense, like, uh, you know, as fans, when we watch, it's, it's, it looks like a really fun sort of like just smash each other kind of thing. But I, I mean, like the more I look at jujitsu and 
all of the things that go into it and all of the striking and the faints and, uh, you know, like changing levels and all that stuff. It, it, it is sort of like a, a game of, okay, what can I do? figure out about the other person. Can Absolutely. you describe that process for me a little bit? Absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of people approach things and they try to know things like, mm. you know, I guess the way that I was trying to know things about Bitcoin, I was, you know, kind of gathering some information and trying to know things, but I'm not sure I was really trying to understand things until like the last year or so. And I think, it's been the same thing with my jujitsu. I think I've been trying to go from just collecting moves and collecting techniques and collecting information to trying to understand it and trying to break it down the best that I can. Um, so I think, okay, well, you have these other grappling arts like judo and um, jujitsu and wrestling, and you have these other fighting arts like boxing and Muay Thai and kickboxing and, you know, the various other styles. Um, if we're kind of doing the same thing, what are the common aspects of those things that are uniting everything? So that's what kind of I was trying to look at was, okay, well, um, if there are certain takedowns that you use in, in all of grappling and there's certain positional um, moves that you do in grappling, what is, the, what is the glue? What is the stuff that is really making it work? as opposed to just trying to collect moves and go, okay, well, I'm going to organize this system to combat this system and this system to combat that system. Um, I, I tried to, I, or I, what I've been trying to do in martial arts really, um, especially over the last couple of years is trying to um, understand it to the point where I could explain it as, as simply as possible and trying to unite a lot of the physical properties of physics, for example, uh, and um, try to, you know, communicate what makes grappling work. And um, I, I think there's, you know, and having that information, uh, I think, goes a lot further than the, the way that things are currently done in martial arts. I think you kind of, you collect a bunch of moves, uh, you kind of systematize it, um, and that's it. And then you kind of keep that until you need to, you know, kind of overhaul it. Whereas I think the way that I'm trying to look at it is, Okay, here are the the the, the few simple con concepts that make grappling work. We can go in and hack any system we want, and we can understand how every system works, um, and we can kind of teach ourselves. Yeah, I mean that sounds a lot like programming. You can mm -hmm. you can learn how to like uh, you know code you know a particular thing, uh, but until you really understand what's going on and uh, can sort of create on the fly like what you need to do, that's yeah. uh, you know it's it's you don't really have mastery. Right. Exactly. 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 And I think that's that's what I think um, I, I've been trying to achieve, and what always excited. Uh, me about, um, you know, let's say watching martial arts movies as a kid. I was fascinated with the old masters and what they could achieve and what they could do. And um, I, I think there is, you know, so much of the stuff uh, of the good stuff is invisible, is the stuff you can't see and the stuff that people aren't talking about. Uh, otherwise, everyone would be an expert. And as we know, <laughs> I, there, I think there's true. There's not a whole lot of true experts, true masters out there. They, a lot of people claim they are, but I don't. I don't really see that. I, I think that um, the only way to be a master is to do something different than everybody else. I think.
Mm. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thought because uh, th- this is something that I talked about with another guest uh, uh, like a few episodes back. But there is sort of like an orthodoxy that you know that are, that's like conventional wisdom or something, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm. that that people think is true, and then somebody new comes in and says, "Okay, you know what? That's not true," and I think I can take advantage of that uh, because here are the flaws in it, and then they come and show it. Right? Absolutely. Uh, uh, like, do do you see that in the UFC? I mean, I, I know there's been several generations of fighter, yeah. fighters, and uh, you know, each has done differently. What what's is that the process that by which the art improves? I, I absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, what I think that we've seen that. It's like there's the guys that um, come in and are trying to do what everybody else is doing, and I feel like that's mm. where the UFC is at right now. I think. Mm there's a lot of fighters that are just trying to be like everybody else. And everyone is kind of looking the same to me, mm. but you look, when you look at the elite, the top guys, they're doing things differently, either um, during the fight itself or in their preparations um, mm. for the fight itself. And, and I think that, um, you know, looking outside of the box and bringing in new techniques and new approaches is what's going to throw people for a loop. If everyone's doing the exact same, it doesn't mean you're not a good fighter. You can be, you can be a very good fighter uh, doing that. But I think anytime you bring unconventional tactics and strategies, Mm. you're going to throw someone for a loop. You're going to confuse, you're going to slow the systems down. You're going to do some things that are revolutionary and get other people to open their minds and go, Oh, wait a sec. You can do a spitting back kick and land it in a real fight. Mm. Dang, let me practice that. You know, I thought that was just for the movies. And you start to, you know, look outside of yourself. But I think that's what makes martial arts so cool is that um, you could see the development of it. Or that's the way it should happen anyway. And I think that combat at any level, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And and I mm. think that's what's really exciting about something like, like Bitcoin is you, you've seen it become this behemoth and it's changing and it's you know, getting into territories that I, I mean, I myself, I didn't see uh, as possibilities. So I, I, I love that. I, I love seeing things evolve that that is, you know, if I'm not evolving as a person, if I'm not evolving and improving as a person, as a martial artist, as a father, as a husband, then I'm doing something wrong. So mm. I, I think that that's something that has really transferred over to my life. And it's something that I, I try to keep my eye out on on different things and whether it's a technology or, um, a sport or, um, you know, a new way of looking at things. I, I'm curious in, in those aspects. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause, uh, I, I, as you were saying that I was like thinking about Paul Tudor Jones, who, uh, you know, said earlier this year that he's putting a lot of money into Bitcoin. Uh, one of the things that I learned about him as I found out about him and what, what he did is that, He's actually like most of in, most investors in that category are kind of like what you said. They're doing what everyone else is doing. Mm-hmm. But he's actually one of the few people that's abs- uh, able to do something different and be successful in it, which is why it was such a big deal that he invested in Bitcoin, because he's one of those people that everyone tries to imitate as a result. Right. Um, and it's amazing. The same thing with Michael Saylor, MicroStrategy, mm-hmm. where you're like, man, these guys are really, uh, you know, putting their balls on the line here. I mean, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, isn't it amazing? He, he's already made like $30 million for MicroStrategy <laughs> just, yeah. just in the last week. It's kind so of cool. Crazy. It's so yeah. cool. 
you mentioned something about uh, you know like trying to figure out how to understand, and you also mentioned that you you taught. Um, can you speak a little bit more about? how you impart that to other people because this is this is a problem that everyone faces in bitcoin is mm. you, know, you have a relative that doesn't understand it and they go explain bitcoin to me and you try with everything that you can and they still don't get it at the end so right. I, i'd love to get some insights from you because it sounds like you've done a good deal of teaching at least with something that i you know i i certainly don't know that much about jujitsu but i would love to get your take on that Oh, for sure. You know, um, yeah. So Jimmy, you know, and the next, you know, I had two, I have two schools or I had two schools. Mm -hmm. I had, I have one in Boston called Florian Martial Arts Center and I had another one in Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and, um, I had the experience of teaching a lot and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I, I know I can reach more people by doing an online thing. So that, that's kind of where I'm going to be heading with that is, you know, teaching online. I I have the ability to reach so many more people right Mm -hmm. now if I'm going to be doing it and it's not in person, how do I come up with a system that is so different from the way things are traditionally taught? And how do I, um, how do I communicate that? Well, you know, what I've been trying to do is essentially I have been basically trying to teach myself Mm. and I've been writing a lot down over the years. I've been doing jutsu, I guess almost 25 years now. Mm. Um, and I wrote a lot of stuff down, Um, but I think the most important thing we can do to break things down for ourselves and for others is by not, um, getting the right information, but we can get the right information by asking the right questions. So Mm -hmm. I think that the right questions is what's going to point us to all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. And it sometimes it's not just one question, um, so I think repeatedly asking the right questions of saying, like, say, for example, in jujitsu, well, if I need to take you down, what are the forces at play that allow me to take you down? Hmm. Okay, so I need to uh, get on the inside of, let's say, some kind of, uh, of your limbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to get some kind of connection with my body and yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to understand what are the different directions that I need to head to achieve it based on the relation of my body and yours. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, you know, do, so, something like that, for example, is, okay, well, there's a lot of invisible forces at play. What are those forces and how do we take advantage of those forces? Um, and, you know, looking at something as simple as, okay, if um, I am standing on the floor and I'm not floating in space, how do I use the floor to maximize my ability to put force on you and control you? Um, and, you know, and, and understanding what your opponent can do to you as well and breaking those things down to, um, I think, uh, a process that is simple, um, can actually be quite complicated because you have to cut through all the crap and all the, uh, noise and try to get to, um, what you're looking at in its most simplistic terms. What are the main forces at play? And how can I really simplify that and understand that the best that I can? Um, yeah. That's interesting because, uh, like, to me, that sounds very logical. Like, you're, uh, you got to figure out where your point of contact is, where your leverage is, and, mm-hmm. like, where, what, what force you can uh, expend and what force they're expending and all that. That sounds very logical to me. Um, but it feels like, you know, like, if, if I'm in front of somebody and I'm about to punch them or they're about to punch sure. me, that just 
feels very different than like sort of the academic area of the classroom. So how do you connect those two things? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think a lot of it is understanding that it really is an information game and that Mm -hmm. the person who controls that force will win the game Mm -hmm. um, or win that exchange anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that you must have a faith you must have a trust in what you're doing. And mm. also you have to be testing that repeatedly. And I think that's where training comes in. Mm. Um, and I think, unfortunately, for a lot of people who train in martial arts or jiu-jitsu, they go in with, they go in with the idea of um, winning first and not learning and understanding first. Mm. Um, be, and in doing that, a lot of times you don't make any moves because – Let's say, Jimmy, you and I were about to get into a self-defense defense situation and you look like a big scary guy that can hurt me. Guess what? I can avoid getting hurt or uh, avoid um, you know, being defeated by just running the hell away from you. And be like, <laughs> well, what happened in your fight against Jimmy? Kenny? be like, yeah, he could beat me, man. Uh, you know, he, he could do anything to me. But the real story is that I just completely ran away from him. Well, you know, it, I have to throw myself into the fire. I need to, I need to engage into a fight or a grappling situation to really understand what's going on. So you kind of need to be thrown into um, the mechanics of what's going on, and then be present enough to feel what's going on, and then rectify those situations or improve those situations as you go. Um, so instead of like, and there's literally Jimmy there, it's just like chess in that there are so many different combinations of moves and counter moves that you can do to each other. So, okay, well, instead of trying to memorize all of those games and all of those techniques and all of those moves and counter moves, what if I can group everything and understand the basis and how each of those things work? Now I can understand, uh, instead of understanding a series of movements, I understand the movement behind all of those things. And I can group, let's say, a thousand moves into these two or three concepts. And I can get another million moves and group that into two or three concepts. And I can get another group of a million moves and put that under two or three concepts. And it, it's way more approachable and way easier for me to understand what's going on. Mm. So sort of like uh, abstracting some of these, what what looks very complicated into something that is much more approachable and understandable. Is that? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And that's certainly something we try to do in Bitcoin. But unfortunately, the, the difficulty, at least in explaining Bitcoin to a lot of people is that they don't know what money is, right? Like right. That, that that seems to be a bit like they think they know, but they don't know. And I, I imagine it's very similar in something like fighting or jujitsu or something like that, is that people think they know how to fight. Actually, they don't. Something like that. <laughs> no, 100%, 100%. I think that like everybody in general like mm-hmm. thinks that in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the, the, you know, the intelligent person, they understand like, hey, I'm in a car right now. It's probably not a good idea for me to get out and fight this person, you know. Like, but like for other people who aren't really thinking and not really utilizing their brain uh, on a daily basis, you know, it's like people think that like there's no repercussions for getting into a fight with someone. Where it's like you could run into an actual professional fighter. You can, and me as a professional fighter, I can run into someone who has a deadly weapon like a knife or a gun or any of those things. Like, it's just not. That's that's not a good situation to be in, and and I think it does really come down to educating uh, people, right? And it's like 
I don't know. I think that was my big issue, Jimmy. And what you identified is that, did I really understand what money was, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was? I'm not sure I did. It was just kind of like this agreement and this faith that, okay, this paper thing that I'm handing to you is real. And, you know, that's it. Or here's this credit card and (laughs) these guys will pay you. And those guys will send money to their credit card that will pay you and put this imaginary number in your account. You know, I don't, you know, so I think that by almost asking the question of asking people, what is your definition of money? Well, this is kind of what money is, and this is how we can redefine it. Mm. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you said that was really interesting to me is that you, you say that most people are more focused on winning and not learning. And uh, we've definitely seen that in Bitcoin. People are like, ah, oh, you know what? I, I, I doubled my money. I'm out. You know, like I'm, I'm very, yeah. very happy. I won. Totally. Uh, instead of actually learning and figuring out what this is and then taking full advantage of the innovation that it is. Uh, in what way do you feel like we can learn from, I guess, fighting jujitsu, uh, the experience of UFC, which has gone essentially from like a fringe sport to completely mainstream at this point. You know, I think what's exciting is the fact that, um, you know, like any technology, whether, whether it's Bitcoin or martial arts, it is constantly adapting and evolving. And, Mm -hmm. and you, it's hard to kind of, um, it's hard to kind of control or, or, um, set your mind on exactly how you see it, because a lot of these things end up expanding and become, um, you know, these other entities within itself. And I kind of see that with, with Bitcoin and the potential for it, Hmm. you know? Um, and I, I think that, um, understanding that it might not evolve the way you want. And a lot of times that, ends up being like this organic life form in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, And you almost have to just be present and, and kind of understand where it's going and, and what the potentials of it. In some cases you need to be ahead of it and lead these technologies. But in a lot of other cases, I think you need to be present and aware of what it's turning into as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, there's a lot of different directions that, that, things like martial arts can go. Um, and just because you're evolving doesn't necessarily mean you're headed in the right direction. And I, and I think that, um, you know, that's a common problem you see in, in engineering. It's a common problem you see in martial arts. It's like, Oh, look at this. I'm getting better. That person that, you know, beat me before I can beat now. It's, but when you go back and look at the fight, you're like, man, you didn't do anything. You, you didn't <laughs> do anything during the fight. You only created like these defensive mechanisms that were boring that really kind of didn't do a whole lot. In some cases, that's a good thing. In other cases, it can be a very harmful thing where you're not advancing anywhere. You're not mm-hmm. making it better. And, and I think it's a common issue. I think, uh, in any time we try to evolve something just because we evolve something doesn't mean that we're headed in the right direction or that's a that's a long-term good thing yeah i think you just described like most all coins out there just right like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they're evolving in a direction that doesn't make any sense and they're like oh, we could do this better and it's like no one really cares about that aspect. <laughs> <laughs> exactly just focus your attention on what we got and we can make that better and you know and, it, and it's true I, I think that like Bitcoin has established itself as such a strong player and everything is there. Again, in in my kind of, um, you know, eyes, I feel like, you know, everything is there to, you know, where you can layer things and and, and make things stronger. And 
uh, create something that um, is extremely special. I think it already is that, but I think the potential is is so much more. And uh, I'm I'm really excited to see how it how it adapts and evolves. Yeah. Uh, another thing I wanted to touch on is sort of like UFC's rise, right? Like, uh, like you know, from when you were on the Ultimate Fighter to now, it's a completely different ballgame because, you know, it was, it was a struggling uh, thing for a while and then it just absolutely exploded. Um, what do you think happened to make that happen? Because like that's the path I think everyone wants Bitcoin to go on is Absolutely. sort of like UFC's rise that we've seen. So what, what do you think happened and what can Bitcoiners do to make that happen? You know, I, I was lucky enough to kind of really see it happen. And, mm. you know, um, without trying to pat myself on the back, I think the <laughs> ultimate fighter really was one of those keys. It's like, how do we get that? How do we get this in front of as many eyes as possible? And how do we, how do we get them to see it and understand it and get familiar with the fighters and kind of have this vested interest. And I think, you know, the UFC did a great job early on of telling the stories of the fighters. And I think that's what the ultimate fighter did so well was that, you know, there were here these 16 fighters in the house and I guarantee you one of those fighters or maybe more, a lot of other people who are watching could associate themselves with mm. at least one of those fighters um, mm. or, or at least want to watch one of those fighters anyway. <laughs> and I think, um, you know, I think that's what was done extremely well um, was, you know, they, they took their time. They let things build up. They got some very good network deals. It started with Spike TV um, and then it ended up being on Fox Sports. And then it went from Fox Sports, it went to ESPN. So they've been building up into more and more high profile um, media, which I think has been huge. Now I think they're in a weird space where they have so many fights going on where they can't kind of. Um, the narration of, of what fight is important and what fight you should watch and which one, you know, is a big one and which one is just a little one it is kind of hard for people to decipher right now because I don't think the stories of the fighters are being told as much, but it certainly has evolved into a much, much bigger sport. I mean, when you hear that the UFC is being purchased for $4.2 billion uh, from where it started, which was like almost bankrupt, it, it's amazing to see that. And I think that, you know, similar to Bitcoin, and it sounds silly, but, you know, we are a silly, silly group of individuals <laughs> where maybe, you know, a Bitcoin billionaire's movie is going to be the thing that gets everybody aware of or more people aware of what this Bitcoin thing really is. You know, it, it sounds silly, but like maybe it's it, it's something like that and getting getting a lot of um you know, viewership or, or getting eyeballs on Bitcoin and what it is and what it means and things like that is what's going to what it's going to take to um, get people to really uh, look outside of what their perspective of, of money is. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think just uh, doing things like that, whether it's, you know, a, a Bitcoin commercial during the Super Bowl or, <laughs> you know, I don't know, you know, people talk about these things, but. It, it and it needs to be it needs to be communicated in, in much more simpler terms I think as well and mm -hmm. and uh, it, it's not it's not something that's going to be told in a thirty second commercial um, that's mm -hmm. for sure um, a lot of the things that are worth understanding um, it's not going to be this quick you know ten second tutorial it's just not um, Bitcoin is much more than that so 
I think, um, but kind of communicating the basics of what you said of like kind of comparing it to what my money was and what it, how it can be, I think is a good place to start. Yeah, it, it's interesting because uh, jujitsu is so popular now in large part because of the UFC totally. and sort of like it, it had a market to prove itself uh, versus other martial arts. Yes. Uh, you know, whereas like 2008, like very few people knew jujitsu or, you know, what, what it was and you yourself uh, actually discovered it. So, um, I mean, it, it sounds like that's where you want Bitcoin to be or to sort of like prove itself and show people that it's actually much, much better. Like, is, is that the direction? I think so. And, and, and I think, listen, I think people are already seeing it. Once mm. people, you know, see that these things can happen, like with, um, you know, the financial crisis in 2008. And, you know, I think that's why, you know, these times in COVID, these, this is actually a great opportunity for things like Bitcoin and other technologies to emerge because you start to see that, you know, a lot of this stuff, it's not working wait a second, where are they printing this money from? Where is this mm-hmm. trillion, where are these trillion dollars of stimulus coming from? Oh, mm. they can just print it? Mm. Hey, what does that mean? So does that mean the dollar's going to go? So it's like, it's almost like these events that are happening are start, are ho- I hope, I hope, uh, you know, this is the case, that mm. it's getting people to ask these questions that are very difficult and mm. getting people to realize that we are, we are not in a good spot right now. And mm. You know, I think Bitcoin is one of the technologies that can save us and allow people to actually start saving money um, and um, start taking some power back. And um, I, I think those those questions um, kind of need to be posed by people. And a, a lot of times it's like the best way of teaching someone is getting them to experience that thing for its for themselves. Mm. And the unfortunate thing is a lot of people are going to learn some very hard financial lessons. I think they already have, but it's only the beginning. I mean, there's so many small businesses that um, have been run out of business because of COVID and will continue to do so because of COVID. So I think it's going to get people to start to ask those very difficult questions and and start to understand, like, what is financial responsibility and how can I attain that for myself? Mm. Yeah. So... Yeah, you, you've mentioned a, a lot of this stuff. The, one thing I want to sort of circle back to, which you mentioned near the beginning, is that, um, you know, Bitcoin, and like jujitsu and, you know, uh, a, a lot of this stuff, uh, it means being involved in your own destiny, right? I, I love the way you put that. Um, instead of sort of blaming other people and sort of like having your agency taken away from you. Uh, in what way do you think, I mean, do you think society is going towards that? Cause right now, in, you know, in the time of COVID we're in many ways sort of restricted in what we can do. And we, we have sort of like a very big government apparatus that's trying to sort of like control us in, a, in many different ways. Like, do you see us going more towards a path of liberty and freedom instead of this, you know, oh, they'll take care of it, and we can blame them if uh, if things go wrong. Geez, you know, that's a tough one. I I think that um, obviously it still remains to be seen. I would like to think that in this day and age um, of information and misinformation, that it's actually going to force people to really go out and get the right information and do the research. Uh, in a way, uh, um, I hope, you know, it, it seems like right now, 
you know, we're in this spot where anyone who believes anything can go out and get information to validate it. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I think that, um, that can be a very dangerous thing, but if you're doing the right kind of research, you're, you want to get various perspectives and really do your due diligence. And I think that's what for me has taken me a long time in, in, and understanding or trying to understand Bitcoin the best that I can is like, okay, is this a pipe dream? Is this, am I getting a one-sided viewpoint of Bitcoin and is this all hopes and dreams or is this legit? And the more I do uh, research on, on Bitcoin, the more excited I get and the more potential I see. And I see that it's, it's actually more real and, and it's more achievable. And so I think that people need to do their own work to really get a good grasp on things mm-hmm. listening to someone it can only get you so far you you have to go and do the work yourself you know it's like we we've grown up in this uh, place where you know my goal is not to get information on a subject it's to pass a test and get the highest score that i can um and that's it it's not to uh, retain any information. It's not to really uh, enlighten me and, and and make me more aware of certain things. It's like, nope, pass the test, man, and move on. Pass the next test and move on. Keep going as quickly as you can. Just the, your whole goal is getting through these grades or getting through this course or getting through this class and just, you know, just showing up, you know, for something and not really being there to really want to learn isn't enough. I think that we need to um, entice people to be intellectually curious, really, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to get you to take in information or not and um, get you to ask the right questions. Um, you know, it, it's I, I think that that's the, the biggest gift I think you can give someone is, you know, besides information is really intellectual curiosity. I think that's that's the most important thing. We have to constantly be asking ourselves these questions. Am I doing the right things? Is this the best way? Because I think as you dig deeper, you realize you can dig deeper all the time, all the time. <laughs> I remember being like in a place where my jiu-jitsu would be like, oh man, now I really got it figured out. I'm doing good. Man, am I like, I'm really good. And I'm, I'm really getting the place. And then I roll with someone who is very you know, good in this specific area where I thought I was good. I go, oh man, I just got my ass kicked. Or I just <laughs> I just found out there's a big vulnerability in what I'm doing here. Well, back to the drawing board. And so you can never kind of be in this place where I think you're overly comfortable. You have to constantly be in this space, I think, where um, you're constantly trying to fortify your position and you're constantly trying to dig deeper and 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 understand as much as possible. And you know, I think Richard Feynman said it best is like, you know, uh, what did he say? He said um, understanding is an art and not everyone is an artist. And, and I think that's something that really kind of hits home with me of like, man, just keep trying to understand as much as possible. There's always more info out there. Mm. I, I, I love how you put it. Like, sort of there, there's this way of living where you're, you're trying to, uh, improve yourself versus sort of going through the motions and okay, I, I get passed on to the next grade and so on. And I can't think of a better analogy than like the free market, right? Where you're constantly having to compete with other players and uh, improve your product so that you can compete on the market. And that that's what gives juice to life instead of this going through the motions, sort of almost a 
a socialist existence where you know your your path is set out for you and you do what they tell you and that's it. That that just seems so dark to me. Hundred percent. You know, it's it's like I saw some meme like a couple months ago, and it was, but it was true. It was like uh, it was like these. They had the the lion that was caged up, um, mm. and then they had the the lion and its pride on a field, mm. and it said, "Which one would you rather be?" You know, when you think about it, it's like a lot of people are kind of caged and they don't realize it and they don't really care. It's like, Hey, as long as I'm getting my meals and I know that it, I know where it's coming from, like I'm, I'm good with that. I, I I'm satisfied. But the reality is, is that like, you know, we are born to be free. We are born to be able to roam. We are born to be able to do a lot of these things. And we kind of get caught up in this system and we think that's that truth. And that's what the only things we can do, which is, why it's so hard for people to break out of um, a way of thinking. You know, we get so accustomed to it and we get so comfortable. Um, and I think it's a very dangerous place to be. You know, I, I, I really do in a lot of different ways. How can you how can you bring innovation to the table if you just accept everything? Mm. And that seems to be a problem in the UFC as you're seeing it. Like, can you tell me Absolutely. more about like, why people uh, aren't trying to innovate and create something new or try something new? Is it is it fear of failure? What what is it? I, you know what I, I think it is definitely fear of failure. I, mm. I think that um, you know first of all there's there's very few people that are trying to bring something new because mm. they want to know what works. They're like, okay, this what this is what works. I'm just going to go out there and copy that. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm going to do what is a proven formula. I'm going to stick to that. And at least I can, you know, do that. And also I can point the finger to that formula after I screwed it up and go, well, you know, I was just doing that because I thought it worked. And, you know, they're the, they're the people that are doing it wrong, not me. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that a lot of it has to do with how we were raised. And, you know, I've thought about this a lot as I, you know, have a two and a half year old. You know, I think, well, what kind, I can't just give them information. I need to give them tools and teach them how to, like, how to use these tools. That's the most important thing is like, how mm -hmm. do I give them right perspective to achieve success in life? Like, what are those things? Not just like, Hey, here's money. Now you're rich. Like that, that, doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't do anything. I mean, we've seen a lot of people who are really, you know, kind of ignorant and have a bunch of money, but, the, and is that what success is? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. well, how do, how do we, how do we, you know, change the perspective and get people to look for ways to make things better and look for ways to innovate and ask questions and, and not be afraid to be, you know, um, to, to think outside the box, um, to be outside the box, uh, to be an innovator and understand that all the good things are done by people who um, aren't doing what the status quo is. Like, that's the only way you can elevate things is by, um, you know, really trying to do something different and doing something that is also going to benefit a lot of people. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with also having faith in yourself and believing in yourself and also understanding that failures also lead to success. Mm. That, hey, may maybe, maybe you went in the wrong direction or maybe you were in the right direction and you just need to make it a little bit better or get people to understand it a little bit better or, you know, be in front of the right people or, you know, so it's, there's so much, um, you know, thing, there's so many things that can go wrong in that process. And I think that 
a lot of it has to do with not having faith in yourself and maybe not working hard, or maybe not working hard enough. Like, mm. geez, man, I, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for 25 years and I feel like I'm just really figuring things out of, of how it works. Like, and I'm like, oh my God, all these other people that are supposed to be experts and supposed to be black belts and know what they're doing, don't know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> and I think that's like, you know, so much of this world is being run or, you know, we're, we're looking up to these people that don't necessarily know what the hell they're talking about. They're just mm-hmm. kind of in a formula or repeating something that someone else has done. And, you know, I think there's a lot of value in that. And like we, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants, of course, and we could see further because of them. But now let's take it further. Let's truly take it further. Or, and maybe we're even looking in the wrong direction still. Mm. That that that's such an interesting thought. Uh, the whole idea that a lot of decision making comes from your ability to blame somebody else for that decision <laughs> instead of you know sort of trying something that's actually yours. But if you fail, you're going to get blamed. And like to avoid blame, a lot of people end up. Uh, you know, going down a path that might not be that great for them. And, uh, you know, they might have some success, but it's not what I guess you would call maybe artistry. It's not, it's not creative. It's not uh, adding something to the world. Totally. Hmm. All right. Well, so uh, we're, we're coming up at the close of this hour. So uh, a few more questions just as a fan and stuff like that. I've been curious about, all right. So the UFC has done spectacularly well during this lockdown. Uh, whereas the NBA, the NFL, MLB, they've all done much worse. Why is that? What do you think is the is the difference between those? You know, I, I think uh, a few things. I do think um, that Dana White and the UFC, they are not afraid to do things differently, number mm. one. Um, I think that they are willing to do whatever it takes to um, be successful and also take advantage you know, of the fact that there weren't a whole lot of sports going on at the time. And for Dana, I know that he's always looking for ways to get more fans and to bring more people uh, into the space. And I thought he saw that as an opportunity um, mm-hmm. and not a crutch. And I think so many times we get stuck analyzing a problem and being in the problem as opposed to solving the problem. Um, Mm. And I think they did a great job of being like, okay, we're in this situation. How do we get this? How do we get this to work? How can we pull this off? Mm. Um, And I think like having that strong belief and also, you know, also having a a big financial uh, motivation of Mm. understanding, Hey, we could really um, take advantage of getting new fans and, and, you know, getting on ESPN and also whatever other financial stresses they have. Um, to, to make fights happen and make their money that they need to make. So I think there was that. I also think they did a good job of really trying not to inject a political conversation into everything. And, and you know, I, you know, I may take heat for this, but I, I think that there's a lot of other ways to, um, you know, kind of get involved into the political conversation. Um, I think it's okay for um, individual players and fighters and things like that to talk about those things. It's absolutely, um, I think, cool and, and fine. But I think when the whole organizations kind of get behind it, they end up, um, I think, especially in this environment where I, I don't remember a time when we've been as divided as we are now, mm-hmm. is that if you're going to invite a political conversation behind the whole league or behind a game or anything like that, I think you run the risk of really um, 
you know, separating a lot of other people from, from that uh, event from happening. You know, it's like, you know, if people are seeing, you know, um, whatever, whatever the political conversation is or whatever the, the, the agenda is, I think you run the risk of I- ignoring a lot of other people or, you know, basically rubbing them the wrong way. Um, mm-hmm. so I think that that's kind of happened. Um, so it, I don't know. I, I think the UFC has done a good job in, in, in that way for the most part. Um, I think they, they do so, make a lot of other political decisions that I think are, are, are kind of foolish, you know, in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I know that Dana is friends with the president and things like that, but, um, you know, I, I think, being as neutral as possible, I think in, in a lot of ways, I think goes a long way. Um, mm. and it doesn't mean they're, you know, but that's just not their job. It's like their, their job is to run a sports league. So mm. I, I think that uh, sometimes leaks maybe forget about that in some ways. And, and mm. I don't know. Mm. Okay. Well, um, a- another question that, uh, that just kind of popped in, uh, to my mind, as you mentioned, uh, your two and a half year old son, um, yeah, daughter, what, yeah, I have a daughter, a daughter, yeah. daughter. Okay, yes, yeah. uh, two and a half year old. Uh, yes. Like, what what are some things that uh, you want to teach them to uh, teach her to um, give her? Uh, you you mentioned like sort of like giving her the tools instead of like information. What yeah. are some of those tools? You know, I think I think it's perfectly fine for them um, to make mistakes and for them to explore and for them to. Um, do things for themselves, you know? And I think that sometimes in our attempts to make sure that they're safe and they have all these things and this and that, that we kind of inject ourselves way too much into a situation where it's almost like, you know, if I tie her shoes all the time and if I dress her myself all the time, I don't give her the tools to be able to tie her shoes. I don't (laughs) give her the tools to be able to pick out her clothes and put her clothes on properly and all those things. So, I think like managing that aspect of not doing too much and not doing too little and trying to give them perspectives on doing things like, you know, my wife's great with it, but like she'll, my daughter will want to grab a vacuum and start helping out or like, Mm -hmm. I want to help mama cook or I want to help her do this. And a lot of times we kind of like shun them. Like Mm -hmm. I kind of wasn't really encouraged to do a lot of like backyard work. And they're like, no, 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 we can, we can do this, Kenny, you know, just go away. You're only going to make things messy. And just (laughs) kind of run along. Um, but I think there's tremendous value in, in kind of handing her the vacuum be like, you know what? She might not be doing the great best job, but like, let her do it. Let her experience what it's like. Let her, her try to do those things and let her, you know, get up in her little tower and watch her mom cook and, help her, you know, hand an egg to her or do something, you know, and Hey, you know what? She's going to drop a lot of those eggs. She's going to throw <laughs> flour around and she's going to do a lot of those things, but it gets her involved. It gets her curious. Um, and it allows them to make mistakes and do some cool things and feel like they're making accomplishments. Um, so I think, you know, it, obviously the basic analogy of it, right. Is, you know, teaching them how to fish and not just giving them fish. Right. I think the more that we can do that, and, and obviously it needs to be age appropriate and, and what they can handle. Um, I think is so important because mm. things aren't easy and anything worth achieving isn't going to be easy. There's going to be a struggle and there's going to be failures and there's going to be, you know, success and the ways that we can get to keep pushing through those spaces and continuing to, to learn that success is, you know, only defined by us and we can keep pushing further and go further and go deeper and 
um, and just be as curious uh, as we can throughout our life. Um, because, you know, so many times, you know, the, the answers that we have today are, are completely different tomorrow. Um, so I think uh, carrying that kind of intellectual curiosity is super important. And um, I think it's, it's important for all of us. Yeah, that that whole um, mentality that you seem to have, um, I, I'm, I'm suspecting it, it probably existed before, you know, getting into the <laughs> UFC or whatever, but it feels very much like a warrior mentality. Like I'm going to take on whatever comes at me and, uh, and you know, figure, figure it out rather than, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to go, you know, I don't know, go and yeah. hide in a corner or something like that. I think that's super accurate. And I think, you know, there's... A lot of things that are are going to be coming our way that is chaotic and that is confusing and that is difficult. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the more that we can prove it to ourselves that we can achieve these things and we can be successful and that we can deal with hard times, that we know what adversity is like and we know what hard work is like, the more um, confidence we have in ourselves to be able to handle those difficult things. And um yeah, I definitely think, you know, the, the warrior mindset is one that um, can go a really long way, no matter what you, whether you throw a punch or want to do martial arts or not, you know, mm-hmm. I think that's all within us that we have survived um, to this point for a reason. Um, and um, we just have to continue looking for those ways of not only to survive, but to thrive and, and whatever um, things that life throw our way. Okay. Well, uh, one last question before we go. Um, where do you think Bitcoin is 20 years from now? And, oh, my gosh. And like, how, how do you think it affects um, your part of the world? And you can take that to mean whatever you want. Wow. Okay. Um, well, I, I do think that Bitcoin will definitely be a much different thing than what we see right now. I think mm-hmm. it will be um, kind of entrenched in our life um, in, in how we pay and 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 do the various transactions, whether it's buying a house, selling a house, um, buying a car, buying a piece of gum, um, all of those things I think will will look vastly different to us. Um, I would think that um, various governments and various people would have uh, strong positions in Bitcoin at that point. Um, I would like to think that I would be happily retired with with, with uh, a, a stable income or you know a stable nest of of money, uh, whatever that looks like. Um, and I hope that um, a lot of other individuals that were maybe um, you know just trying to play catch up and just trying to keep their their head uh, above water are in a much different situation now because they did believe and invest in Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I just see it in a completely different way. And I hope that it not only does that, but that it actually makes, um, the world a more peaceful place that, Mm. you know, because these governments aren't trying to keep up or trying to, you know, um, because they're not devaluing currencies anymore and because they're not scrambling to try to make these, their, their, their countries work, um, because of this Bitcoin, I, I feel like, um, you know, it, it, there's the possibility of it being a more peaceful place and not having to go to war. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of potential for it. I, I hope that uh, it continues in a positive light and, uh, you know, that just more education is, is out there on, on, uh, on this technology. All right. Uh, where can people find you? 
Um, they can they can find me on social media at, at Kenny Florian on Twitter or Instagram, um, and at KennyFlorian.com as well. Um, and uh, I will be having a YouTube channel up as well soon, and and uh, I'm going to be releasing a, a jiu-jitsu instructional, um, hopefully before the end of the year, uh, <laughs> but certainly in the next few months. Uh, so anyone who's interested on a basic level to learn what I was kind of talking about can do that. And um, I also um, I, I do a podcast on the UFC and mixed martial arts called the Anakin Florian Podcast, and that, that's kind of everywhere that that there's a podcast and. Um, that's pretty much it, man. Thank you so much for having me. It was a, a great conversation. Yeah, thanks for coming. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Kenny can be found at, at Kenny Florian on Twitter and on KennyFlorian.com. Until next time, Fiat Delenda Est.